James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Two verses, uh, challenging verses, but we'll walk through them. I'll have a few things to say to challenge you, and then we'll be done with the book of James for this year. Steadfast faith for trying times. So we look at James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. I've titled it, um, The Search and Rescue Mission of God's People. James, in his letter, has written to us all throughout the five chapters about distinguishing genuine faith from false faith. How, How do you know if you have genuine faith, or how do you know if you're like the demons, you believe and even tremble, but you don't have a faith that is saving faith? And James gives us all of these lists love the widows and the orphans, watch what you say with your tongue, do, don't just listen, make sure that you're submitted underneath God. All of these different things where we can look at our own hearts, look at our own lives, evaluate ourselves and determine, do I have genuine faith that allows me to be one of the saints, one of the redeemed, or do I have some type of false faith? James, in writing this and in our application for this audience, we've talked about mature faith versus an immature faith. This faith that James describes is one that helps guide us to be a mature follower of Christ, to be humble, to pray, to seek God. And so we all can take this measuring stick of James and put it up to our lives and say, how am I doing? What do I look like on the test of spiritual maturity? And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us don't ace the test. Because all of us have things in our lives, things that we're going through because of our sin nature that we're struggling with that are difficult for us. All of us need the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that comes through the cross. All of us need the Holy Spirit to help us so we don't measure up. And James here, as he continues and finishes his book, is again reminding us, what about those who may wander from the faith or those who may stray from the faith? In his closing comments here, He comments on what happens when we see a brother or sister, brother being used in the generic way, who lacks genuine, mature faith, someone who wonders from the faith. And it's my fear that too many times in the Christian life, too many times in our churches, too many times, even at places like Cedarville University, that we treat wonders from the faith like United Airlines treats overbooked passengers. Oh, that's harsh, huh? Did you guys see that? Did anybody pay attention to United? Did you just... All right, we got to have a little fun with them. All right. Did you see the slogans? The new slogans for United? <laughs> you, you can run, but you can't fly. I thought that one's pretty good. I, I, I like Sam Alberry. He tweeted this one out. I thought this was good. Please, Trump, tweet anything, anything, something. United Airlines CEO. Just, just to get the news off of him. I thought that one was pretty good. This one may have been my favorite though. United Airlines. (laughs) Yeah, for for a guy who likes to play with words, I thought this was pretty creative. I had never thought about hospital being in hospitality before, but yeah, okay, all right. And then here's the last one that I saw that I like. Pentagon awards contract to United Airlines to forcibly remove Assad. President of Syria, for those who have been in the Cedarville bubble, not watching any news at all for the past year. All right, now, I'm not trying to throw United Airlines under the bus. We know it's not the United Airlines workers that we're going to encounter when we're on their airplanes that are the ones that did this. But my point to you is this. When they did this, there was, there was a, a reaction. 
Too many times, I think, in the church and even in our own lives, when somebody strays from the faith or when somebody does something in an action or in a belief that we retreat from them, we want to get away from them. And so we devour our own wounded rather than leaning in close to them and grabbing a hold of them and saying, no, brother, no, sister, you can't go down this path, not with these actions, not with these beliefs. This is not where you need to go. We tend to push away, and it's more like United Airlines beating and dragging out their passengers. I saw another one with the guy in the, in the aisle. I wasn't going to show it because it looked pretty bad, but it said United Airlines with more leg room. And it's, it, you just see it. And the way that we treat people sometimes, it's just not godly, it's not right. And here James is saying to us in this passage of scripture, we are the search and rescue team. We are not the ones that are to go out and beat people down. We are not the judge, the jury, and the executioner. We are not the ones who when we encounter somebody who has a fallen attitude, belief, or action, that with prideful arrogance, we stand up tall, stick our nose in the air, hold our shoulders back, and have a pompous attitude of superiority. We should be those who, because we love others as we love ourselves, are broken over their sin and their rebellion because we know what those actions are gonna lead to. We know that those beliefs indicate a heart condition that is not healthy. And we should be those who with tears come alongside those who are straying from the faith and say to them, no, brother, don't do this. No, don't leave the faith. We don't hire spiritual linebackers or legalistic law enforcers in the Christian faith. We're on a search and rescue mission. James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I've highlighted two words for you on the screen to draw to your attention this as we read. What you see in this text is not that James calls the elders or the leaders to go rescue them. He calls us all. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Dear Lord, we pray that today you would help us to catch a vision for seeking the lost, Lord, as you have sought us, for seeking those who may be straying with the same love and the same compassion that you have shown towards us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, let's walk through our text. He starts off with my brothers. You've seen this over and over and over in the book of James, one section where he was a little more harsh, where he confronted us a little more, and then he's back to my brothers. This is our last encounter with the word my brothers in the writings of James here in this book. He says, if anyone among you this is important for us to note. It's among them. He's not saying to them, those who are outside of you. He's saying to you, those who are among you, if anyone among you, and in a crowd this size, there are some probably even among us who are not where they need to be walking with God, who are not where they need to be with actions towards God, who may not need to be with beliefs towards God. Now, sure, on the outside, you may say all the right things, you may do the right things, because here at Cedarville, there's a positive peer pressure to believe and to do and to say, but inside, you may know 
that you really don't believe or you really don't act or you really don't conform to what the Bible says. And that, in fact, is the exact double-mindedness that James has addressed multiple times in the book where he says, don't think one way and live another. It's unstable. It's like a person who's trying to balance on the waves of the ocean. You just can't live a life that way. And so James here says, from those among us, as you go out into the world, as you go out into local churches, there will be those among you that will wander from the faith. There will even be those heroes of your faith that will do things that will greatly disappoint you. There will be those that you have looked up to. There will be those in the local church. There will be those preachers. There will be those speakers who have great charisma that you will watch fall. And it's a caution to us all that we dare not idolize any other human being because all human beings have the same sin nature that I have and that you have. We have but one God and that God is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you put too much stock in any one human, they will fail you. That's a weight that they cannot bear. And then your hopes, your faith will be questioned, will be crushed as you watch them do things that are not godly, that are not right. And we don't excuse those. But when you see that, your faith should not be shaken. Because our faith rests not in one man, not in one woman, not in anybody on this earth, other than the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. From among us. It's among us. Well, that should give us reason for concern. Those we look to around us, those faculty members that we teach with, those that are in our departments could be those that through belief or through action may wonder or stray from the faith. It has happened before. So how does that guide our thoughts? I think it should guide us in that when we have conversation, there are times for deep, meaningful conversations where we ask hard questions about how are you really doing? So many times we go through life with these flippant conversations of joking about trivial matters because we don't dig deep into the matters of eternal significance to develop those friendships where you have somebody that will speak into your life, somebody that will question you, somebody that will challenge you, somebody that loves you enough to get in your face when you need somebody to get in your face and say to you, brother, sister, you are not doing what is right. It's among us. Do we love those who are among us? If we do, we will confront them. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders, what does it mean to wonder? To be misled or deceived is the way one book defines it. To no longer believe what is true, but to start believing what is false. To stray from the truth, to wonder from the truth, to go astray. Here we note that you wonder from the truth. What is the truth? It's the content of that which is true and thus in accordance with what actually happened. Truth. James provides us the imagery of someone who is wondering, someone who is perhaps walking and as they walk, they wander away from the truth. They wander away from the things that have actually happened. This is important for us to take note of what he is saying here. Most likely the truth that he is referencing is Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone wonders from the truth. It's important for us in the world in which we operate and live to note what's being said here too is that if you can wonder from the truth and if someone can bring him back to the truth, then you can know truth. In the world of higher education, in the world of philosophy, in the world of graduate schools that you're gonna go to, in the world that many of you are gonna work in, you're going to have those who question, can you even know truth? 
Is there any such thing as a universal truth? But for those of us who are followers of Christ, the text clearly tells us that if you can wander from the truth and if you can be brought back to the truth, then we can know truth. There is a God and he is not silent. And may we never get so smart in our own minds that we come up with such flawed, sophisticated, philosophical arguments that we do away with the truth of scripture so that we can live life any way we please. We can know truth. We have truth. The truth that we have has been clearly communicated to us. Let us learn it. Let us think on it. Let us ponder it. Let us memorize it. Let us internalize it. Let us live by it. Let it affect everything that we do. We can have the truth. You think about wandering from the truth, and I think in modern society, we think about that in two ways. I think it's a false dichotomy, but I think we think about it in two ways. We can wander from the truth with our beliefs, or we can wander from the truth with our action. Now, I really think what you believe shows up in your action. So if you're living in a way that's not consistent with the truth, you've got problems in belief, whether you wanna admit it or not. Uh, But just for the sake of argument, think about it for the two ways that you could wander from the truth, one being in belief, in believing something contrary. Scripture speaks to this. 1 John 2, 19, it says, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Second Peter 1, 2, 1 and 2. But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensualities, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Those of you who are going to graduate school, those of you who are incredibly intelligent, may I caution you out of love today not to let your own intelligence become an idol that leads you away from reliance upon the Holy Spirit and the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen way too many people, especially those in theological education, who reach to a certain level and desire respect and desire admiration among those who are around them and they drift over into liberal theology. In fact, there's one book written about a guy who went to Southern Seminary many, many years ago, Clayton Sullivan. His title of his book is Called to Preach, Condemned to Survive, where he went and studied at Southern Seminary, and because of the liberalism that was there in that day, long since changed with the efforts of Dr. Moeller, but because of what was there in that day, they undermined all of his beliefs in the scripture, all of his beliefs in the foundations of the gospel, and then they sent him out condemned to survive in the local churches with nothing but liberalism to teach and to preach. And I'm here to tell you that liberalism won't change lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of this word is what changes lives. May I just challenge you to put it in the back of your mind right now. You're probably sitting there saying, I'd never do that. But may I challenge you that 30, 40 years from now in the back of your mind, may it still ring that we We can never get too smart not to rely on the word of God, on the grace of the cross, on the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to be tied to the cross and tied to the Bible in actions. You can stray from the beliefs and truth in your beliefs. You can stray from it in actions. You can wonder by living contrary to the truth. Galatians 2.14 is an interesting case in this. It's the case where Paul actually confronts Peter. Here you have two of the most famous teachers of the day 
Galatians 2.14 records, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He called him out on beliefs and actions. I think back to 2 Samuel 12, 7, when Nathan came to David and he presented the case and David was furious and Nathan responded to him, you are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. What does it look like to have actions that are leading you away from the gospel? You could think of many, but I perhaps want you to think today of those early warning signs, not the end disastrous results, those early warning signs of no quiet time, no prayer life, no personal scripture memorization or devotion, no church attendance. I challenge you all this summer as you go back home, be involved in a local church, contribute to a local church, be an active member of a local church. For those of you graduating, join a local church, be involved in what's happening. You will never regret that decision. You need the local church in your life, just as I do, we all do. I do believe it's truly our beliefs that drive our actions. If we truly believe God's way is best, we will live like it. When we believe the devil's lie that there is something in life that we're missing out on, that there is something that we need that God doesn't provide, and we try to feed our souls with a sinful desire and a hopeless effort to satisfy an eternal need with temporal band-aids, we demonstrate the double-mindedness that James addresses. Our orthodoxy should drive our orthopraxy. Good doctrine should lead to good action. The life that we say we lead should match the words that we say. I think about these things. Over the course of the past year, it's been tough. As I've had several friends, older friends, close to my age, much older than most of you, who have gone through difficult times. I've watched as one of these friends in particular has done something that's wrong, it's not to be excused. But how the church has pushed him at arm's length away to say, I want nothing to do with you. I've watched the pain, I've watched the heartache of a person who says, my life is over, I'm done. I just feel like ending it right now because who could ever use me? What could God ever do? As somebody is going through the dark night of the soul and struggling, and there are those fellow believers nearby who are pushing away at arm's length who are saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I can't be seen with you. Who, who are saying to him things that are not helpful, not encouraging to his soul, not rescuing to his soul. And I want to challenge you. James here, I think, is talking about somebody who's leaving the faith who perhaps is not saved, and we'll get to that. But even in our own church, I want to challenge you to go after the wonderer who is saved, the wonderer who's going through a difficult time, the wonderer who sins and does something wrong, and there are consequences for those actions. But just because there are consequences doesn't mean God doesn't love them, that we shouldn't love them, that we shouldn't wrap our arms around them, that we shouldn't spend time with them, that we shouldn't cry with them, that we shouldn't pray for them. Hurting souls for whom Christ died. And too many times in our own lives, we see those people and we push away as though there's nothing in our own heart that wanders from a holy God. And if we were honest with ourselves, we know that inside of us is equal sin. Maybe we haven't done the same things they did, but oh, our idle factories of our heart work overtime producing things that cause us to run away from God. Can I just challenge you? Don't do that. Don't push them away. 
Friends, for life, you will see it amongst your own classmates here. After you graduate, as time progresses in a group this size, there inevitably will be those who will stray in one way or another. May this room be the room that reaches out to them and grabs around in a circle that won't let them go. Do you really love one another? It says here, someone... My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, who is the someone? He doesn't say the elders. He doesn't say the pastor. He doesn't say the missionary. He doesn't say the full-time employee. He says someone. He says someone. You are the someone. I am the someone. We all together are the someones. Someone. Bring him back. Somebody. Go get him. Somebody get in the car. And drive to wherever he is and lay your arms around him and cry on his shoulder and say, God still loves you. Somebody, go get him. It's for all of us. Let that person know, verse 20, let him know that whoever, note the word whoever, Again, it's not the elders, it's not the pastor, it's not the missionary, it's not the Bible professor, it's whoever. Faculty member in a classroom that notices a student that seems to be straying or wondering, it's not the job of the Bible department to go get them, it's all of our jobs. Whoever, someone, whoever, coach, teacher, worker, Christian ministries, employee, RA, RD, whoever, you see one of your fellow classmates wandering off into something they shouldn't, grab a hold, love them, confront them, challenge them, say to them, no, we have the truth, we must stick to it. Bring them back. This is all of us. And whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is a challenging verse to interpret. What does it mean, his soul? Who's the his referring to? Is it referring to the whoever that brings him back? Or is it referring to the sinner from his wanderings? Well, you know, there are days in my own life where I look at my own self in the mirror and I realize my own sinfulness and I realize the attitudes of my heart are just not right. And I really wish that this verse would say that this would cover a multitude of my sins if I went after others bringing them back. If I could just be a full-time search and rescue, go get them, bring them back, cover up my own sins. That's how my mind works. But I recognize that that's not the truth. Because the truth of the gospel is that by God's grace, through repentance and faith in him, my sins are already covered. I don't need any additional grace offered because what Jesus has done is enough. And sometimes I don't think we even grasp that in our own minds. I think what's intended here is for the person who wanders out from among us that is not a believer that goes out and we go out and rescue them and pull them back to the truth and bring them to the truth that that person's soul will be saved and that a multitude of their sins will be covered. And I would challenge us in the church, don't expect people who are lost, who are in the church to act like those who are saved. You can't clean yourself up to get good enough to come to Christ. You come to Christ and let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. But for application of our audience today, as I've already made, I want to challenge you to go after those who are wandering from the faith, who may be believers. We don't know. We can't see their heart. They may be followers of Christ, but through belief or through action, they are wandering away from the truth. Could I just challenge you to go to them? So why don't we? I think partly because it's risky work. Confrontation is not easy. The thought of conflict is unpleasant. 
The thought of somebody not liking us or of losing a friend is not a good thought. The thought of being perceived as harsh or legalistic or misunderstood is not something that we like. You know, another reason I think we don't often go and challenge is self-examination. You know, if I'm going to go talk to somebody about their sin, it forces me to think about my own sin in the process of me talking to them about their sin. You know, the Bible says before you go mess with the speck in somebody else's eye, get the log out of your own eye. And if I'm going to go up to somebody and say, listen, brother, your beliefs are not right or your actions are not right, there's a portion of that that causes me to look in the mirror and acknowledge my own sinfulness. And I think sometimes we would rather just ignore it and not do it than to acknowledge our own sinfulness, look at our own evaluation of our souls. But that's one of the reasons we should do it. Because in challenging a brother or sister who is straight in belief, who is straight in action, it causes us to evaluate our own lives, to look at where we are. It causes us to, with humility, say, I'm not perfect either, and but by the grace of God, I would be in the same situation. I think there's another reason. I think we have misunderstood the word love. I think society has defined love to accept anything. And love does not mean accepting anything. The opposite of love is not acceptance, it's indifference. If I don't love you, I don't care what you do. If I don't love you, go do whatever you want, go have fun in life, do whatever you want to do, who cares? You go do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll go separate ways, who cares? But if I love you, I'm not going to let you just go do anything you want to do. I think about my own daughter in this. If I didn't love my daughter, I'd just let her do whatever she wanted to do. She could do all of these things and it wouldn't be a big deal. But when she does something that's wrong, when she does something that I see in the trajectory of her life is going to cause her harm because it's a wrong belief or because it's a wrong action, then it's my obligation as a father because I love her to sit down with her and have a difficult conversation and to attempt to shepherd her heart towards God so that she'll see the long-term consequences of what's happening. And that confrontation with her is the most loving thing I can possibly do as a father, even though it may be difficult at times. Even though as fathers who love daughters and sons, it may tear your heart apart to deal with their sin. It is the most loving thing we can possibly do. Do you love your fellow classmates enough to confront them? Enough to, with tears in your eyes, not a hammer in your hand, to say to them, brother or sister, this is not good for your soul. This is not a good long-term trajectory. If you truly love somebody, you will confront them. God did not show indifference towards us, but John 3.16 tells us that God loved us in this way, that he sent his only begotten son. It cost him something. There was confrontation. There was pain. There was sacrifice. But I thank God that he didn't leave me in my sin, that he didn't show indifference to the plight of all humanity. When we ignore truth, when we ignore deed, we demonstrate an indifference that is not love. Brothers and sisters, we should compassionately confront those who are erring. It says a sinner from his wondering. James calls him a sinner. James equates the person wandering away from truth as a sinner. We should not be shocked by this. James, with all of his commands, has been in our face for a full year. 
He has shown love. He has shown grace, but he has been in our face. And here he calls it like he sees it. A person who runs from, runs from the faith, a person who wanders away is a sinner. And it says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul and will cover a multitude of sins. I draw your attention to the future orientation of the verbs here. Will save, will cover. James, at the end of his epistle, is pointing our minds forward. He's helping us to look ahead as to what's coming. He's telling us in our minds as we look forward to what's happening that there is a day that Jesus will come back. There is a day that he's going to set all these things right. There is a day where all is going to be made new. There is a day coming where I will no longer struggle with my own selfish, sinful nature. There's a day coming where you will no longer struggle with your selfish, sinful nature. There's a day coming where we'll no longer see the pain that this world has created. There's a day coming where we're no longer going to have to experience the things that the devil and his demons bring about. There's a day coming with no more tears, no more pain, where no more suffering will be there. There's a day coming where it all will be made new. And that's where our attention has to be on Jesus making all things new. He says here in this last part, let him know. I wonder if James is pointing us back to, even in our minds, verse three. You'll remember back to verse three where he said, you know. Verse 20, where he says, let him know. Verse 3, as it points back, says in 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfast faith for trying times. I can't help but think of the song Robert Robinson wrote, 1758. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it far. Thy courts above. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just wonder, is there anyone in the room right now, we're not going to embarrass you, we're not going to do anything, just say, I'm wondering. I need prayer. I just want to pray for you. Anyone in the room that would just raise your hand up, whether in belief or whether in action, you would say right now, I know I'm not where I need to be. I know I need to be back. The good graces of God. Oh, dear God, you see the hands. But you know, even more importantly, our hearts. God, I pray for those who feel alone, those who feel like nobody else knows what they're going through. 
God, I pray that you would help us as fellow believers to come alongside one another, to come around one another, to demonstrate the love and the grace of the gospel, to shepherd and guide. Lord, give us hearts of compassion and eyes to see how we may bring those who are wandering back to the fold of God. God, help us ourselves not to be those who are described as wanderers. But God, bind our wandering hearts to Thee. Oh Lord, I pray this for our faculty, our staff, and our students. That this would be a place known for the grace of the gospel, for standing firm, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.